podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber and I'm joined by Andy Gramuga. Number one, Mr. Bean's holiday stand, Colin Ashley. Emilio Diaz. All right. And today we are continuing on with our loose series on the competition of the 2006 Cannes Film Festival. We will be discussing uh, Colossal Youth, which was in competition, as well as Mr. Bean's Holiday, which we will get into the uh, connection a little later, I think. And to discuss those two movies, we are joined by writer Fran Hoffner. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Oh mm. no! Hey. <laughs> can we can we have like a personal bean pun limit for each individual? Like we're all allowed three. Uh, I don't think we I, can. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's in the spirit of Mr. Bean, Andy. I don't know what you're talking about. He's not about puns. He's all about physical bits. Yeah, Emilio. He's a goofy guy. Yeah, yeah but he's, he's not about do limiting bits. doing the same exact bit a number of times. That's true. <laughs> not a lot of restraint on Mr. Bean. <laughs> I, I mean, very restrained vocally. That's true. Which is one of his great strengths, I think, mm-hmm. as a character. Is we don't have to hear his views. That's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, no one is out here trying to give Mr. Bean a column in a paper or anything, thankfully. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> the one way to avoid cancellation for Bean. <laughs> which is like, it's crazy then how cancelable he is just based on physical movement <laughs> alone and facial expressions yeah. and, and, and like light kidnapping. Right. <laughs> hey. Better than heavy kidnapping. It's true. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and start with Colossal Youth. Uh, does anyone have any opening thoughts on maybe the hardest to talk about film that we have talked about? I guess, I mean, I think it's very good. Mm-hmm. Sure. Anything beyond that, Colin? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I maybe that's just how I'll open. Uh, I, it is hard to talk about, like you're saying, Jesse. Uh, I don't know, like what everyone else's history with Costa is. I watched uh, Asos a few weeks ago, which is like the first in the sort of like Fontana's trilogy, as they call it, with like in Vonda's room being the second one, which I haven't seen. Uh, but I like this a lot more, and it's like. Um, because the first one is like shot on 35 millimeter and this is like you know mini dv and i think mm-hmm. it surprisingly looks like amazing in its yes. quality and like his composition i think is like second to none from what i've just like the small amount that i've seen and i think uh the first one was much more not plotty but it's like it feels like more of a movie movie where this is like such a loose thing and uh I really was super into it by the end. Like I had a little bit of hard or a hard time at the start of it, like getting in the rhythm of it. But then it is so like cyclical and like how they do 
just the same people over and over again. And right. like by the end, I was like fully yeah. on. Board. I mean, I guess we should maybe for our audience who has maybe not seen Colossal Youth, hard as that is to ponder, uh, the maybe we, a little bit of like what it is. Um, I don't have the biggest background in, in Costa. Colin was sort of allu- alluding to this is like sort of a part of a big bigger project of his. But th- what this film is is basically it's um, it's an uh, an older man uh, who you follow who's he's like uh, doesn't really have much in terms of like family connections at the moment. He and his uh, his 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 place where he's lived uh, is being like destroyed there's being you know the uh they're being redeveloped i guess uh and so they they're they're like the most plot version uh, is like he is like sort of given a new he has moved to a new place and he like sort of like hangs out in like both those places a lot throughout the movie and like sort of like talks about his life and talks about other people's lives with like his neighbors and stuff and like it's a lot of like very it's all the shots are like you know static like composed uh it's it's shot in you know in a four by three like square um it's um and it's it's yeah it's just most i think he's in every scene right there's not any scene without him um and it's just like and it's just scenes of him living his life during this moment of like greater transition is essentially like the best way that i think to summarize the 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 plot of it is such as it is. I guess the end of the second movie, which is more focused on the character Vonda, who is uh, the person who has like the daughter, and he talks to her a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it ends with the Fontaine that's like building being destroyed, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then this one picks up like after the destruction. My, my familiarity with Costa was pretty minimal. Um, uh, Vitalina Varela is one that I sort of like has been on my list for forever, but I had yet to get to. Um, so I didn't know that Colossal Youth functioned as sort of a part of a whole um, or a part of like a series. But I I thought it was pretty good. It almost sort of defies like good, bad, right. binary. And it just sort of exists on its own. I think it's pretty miraculous what it is, but is also the kind of film that is, I think almost like probably has to be seen in a theater in order for the experience of it it. yeah Yeah. you have to sit with it you have to be in the dark with it um there was this like very low budget belgium film i saw years ago called violet which like has a plot in theory but really is a lot of just like static shots and like footage of belgian teens skateboarding to deal with grief uh, and it reminded me of that because that in sort of a theater experience makes so much sense. You're just totally mm-hmm. sitting with it and living in that world. Whereas like, you know, the thing about home media is like, it's amazing for accessibility, but this is also something I had like a really hard time getting into. And once I like adjusted to the rhythm and the style and the focus of it, I really was able to like abandon, you know, myself to it. But like, God help anyone trying to watch this who like has a smartphone in their hand. Yeah, it's like, like the compositions are so minimal that it, like you can see the intention of it being like it envelops you in the like white space of the sort of like oh. housing community that he lives in later, like those sorts of white spaces, those white rooms enveloping you, and then some of the darker places in like either the slums or the museum he visits at some part, just just like 
capturing your eye and like affecting the colors of the room you're in but when you're watching it yeah like on a laptop then it does not do it does not have the same effect certainly but though you can still appreciate the sort of like what he's doing cinema in terms of cinematography i liked it i it's like one of those movies that it just like has so much space to breathe that you can't just that i my brain just wrestles to just like try to think about what it's about and what's it trying to say I sort of, the movie I thought about while watching it, which is like maybe, it's like maybe sort of a weird comparison, but like it's, this is not a film, the Jafar Panahi movie. Okay. Because it's like, I f- what I liked about this is not a film is that it's a movie about like the boredom of the misfortunate, if that's like a way to put it, of just like when you when you can't do anything when you're not afforded the certain opportunities like in this is not a film he's in house arrest and then this one he's just like sort of a lower class person who is also like sort of disconnected from the family and friends he's trying to reconnect with and just sort of like the boredom that happens in those situations and it's just like because often movies about those sorts of situations will, like, especially in America, like, have to ratchet up the drama and the tension to be like, look at how horrible this it is to live like this and just, like, have to make you, like, uh, have to make a person suffer. But I feel like these sorts of movies get to a sort of closer to real, like, closer to the reality feeling of, of just, like, being poor, being lower class, of just, like, it's just boring. You don't get to do anything. You're not afforded the opportunities to exist in the same way that somebody might maybe a little more fortunate than you are. And I thought sort of like whatever minimal story exists in it, I thought, sort of found that compelling of just like, cause the title of the movie is Colossal Youth. The Portuguese title is Juventude and Marcha, which sort of means like the youth in movement. So you can sort of like attach that to like the story of like, well, it's like this guy who's like older in life and he's like come upon some misfortune. So he's like, has no, there is like very like the younger people around him who he continues to try and have conversation with many of which just ignore him or just like tell him what's happening in their life they're just like moving forward and dealing with this sort of like terrible situation because this these movies are sort of happening like in the background of a sort of like civil war that happened in portugal that i don't have a lot of context for but that is my understanding of like the underlying consequences and then like they sort of like find them way find their way into the movie through like there is one of the people that ventura like talks to it's like this person who he keeps like reciting this letter to which is like an interesting funny premise and like but eventually you can see like there's like war bearing down and like he he can't write this letter anymore but yeah that's basically my take on it it's like an interesting depiction of the sort of just like time passing you by the misfortune of just like being bored and not having not being connected to the things you used to be connected to and just like not being able to find people to connect with in this sort of world do you have any takes jesse yeah well i guess i can say that i have marginally the most experience with Costa. I I did see uh, Vitalina Varela at uh, Toronto last year, so in a theater, and it is... His movies are an easier watch in a theater, though I happen to uh, see that at the very 
end of my first day there, which was like after 24 straight hours of traveling, because uh, I decided to take a bus from DC to Toronto. Uh, so I was not in the best frame of mind to see it, but. And that. That is like very much like you were saying, Cullen, that his earlier movies are like a little more like a touch more plotty, like there's a little bit more going on. And Vitalina Varela is definitely like in this same kind of mode as Colossal Youth. Ventura is also in it, though he's not the main character. Uh, And then it is also like. It is interesting that that movie is shot in a much higher definition than Colossal Youth is, and yet both kind of look equally incredible. Like, I think what he does with, like, light is pretty unparalleled. Uh, I guess my thing is just that, like, the visually it is so formally rigorous, and then, like, I wish that that kind of extended, that formal rigor kind of extended more to the the plot or the structure because I just personally did not find a ton to like grab onto and that is, like there are plenty of movies that like don't have much of a plot and like just kind of look nice but i think the types of those movies that i respond to there is something also like thinking of like uh sierra nevada the uh christy puyu film that's another movie that is like very visually formally rigorous but then also like has the kind of structural conceit of being like set in this single room over a single day, which I'm under the impression in Vonda's room is maybe a little more like, but, like, I guess there is some of that with just, like, the repetition of of the letter that he's kind of adding or subtracting little pieces from each time, and I maybe wish there was more stuff like that. Yeah, that's, like, the letter is, like, maybe my favorite thing in the movie. Yes. Especially, like, the payoff with the letter and like the character of uh linto is that right i believe so he's like the friend yeah that like whole how that wraps up i thought was like beautiful and then i think like what he does to break the like formal rigor that you're talking about of like the one of the last scenes going from like you know he's been doing uh just like static shots the whole time to where it like pans across this river and like Mm -hmm. this street i was like oh my (laughs) god this is so great and it's like that's like what he's doing by like just this meditative like it's just going to be a shot and you're going to see these people talk like for two and a half hours and then the end of it to be that is like a you know gut punch almost right there's like that one pan towards the very end and then there's another really incredible pan like around the middle of the movie that goes from like pointing up to like at uh, they're in like a park and it's looking like kind of up through the trees and then kind of goes diagonally over to uh, I think Ventura sitting on a bench that also looks really really good yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the stuff in the museum it just like obviously it, it looks yes. very good mm-hmm. but obviously also what it's doing just in terms of like 
I what I enjoy about the movie is everybody having this like well not this guy again energy towards Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that's the one that does the most. I guess the one, the guy with the letter also has sort of this same turn, but it like it sort of gets at the sort like he's not a, allowed to exist in these spaces or just like people are annoyed by his presence people are trying to like live their lives do their own things and just like the his sort of miserable low, lower class existence just like even if he's not even if he's not actively trying to do anything really he, the people get sort of like uncomfortable or annoyed or like discomforted by his presence which is just like a terrible way to live and it's i think it's sort of getting at what the movie wants to get at yeah and like the continued effort to like erase or destroy like the tedium of his existence like i think that i mean like it's it's so wonderfully shot and the compositions of it are great but it's i mean i think it's like extraordinarily well like written to the extent that it is written Mm. and that those like stories are executed by all of their sort of individual speakers and like you know the the adjustments to the letter uh in just like simple narrative forms like this is obviously not like a traditional narrative but people you know will always sort of lazily tell you that like no one talks for a long time that's not how dialogue works that's not how storytelling works Um, And to make you sit and listen to someone is, like, requires a certain act of, like, patience and empathy and understanding just to even, like, maintain focus. And I think to, like, lock the viewer into that um, is, like, is, like, a pretty remarkable feat. Because it could, it sort of runs the risk of having this, like, talk radio effect um or it got like radio lab or something i mean obviously not like as Mm. peppy as that but um like it it sort of gives you the freedom to like latch into or out of some narratives more than others um in presenting them all essentially on like kind of an even keel as well yeah yeah Yeah, because it's like you you get how these people are responding to Ventura more through Ventura than through them. A lot of the people are just like sort of living their lives and he's just existing in the space around him and through the way that he, like he moves and acts and listens to them, you can sort of understand how much of a burden he feels like he's being or how much or just like how much of what he's not getting that he thought he wanted to get from these sorts of interactions with these people around him and yeah it's like there is an interesting narrative here like more than more than there is like a plot there certainly is like a story and a narrative being shown it's just like you sort of have to work for it on occasion it's also a sort of movie that it's like i often have these sorts of like questions when i watch a foreign movie of just like is there something i would be getting if i spoke portuguese and it's like are there certain like yeah. dialectual and like a- accent differences that I would like understand deeper if I just spoke the language that I maybe wasn't getting but I even so I, I still like very much appreciated what it was doing it's like obviously I also had a hard time watching it because it is a long right. film with, where not much happens and I am sat in front of my computer that has video games on it so it's just an, an 
a natural <laughs> difficult inclination to be able to watch these sorts of movies but i was sort it's like at least for like hours at a time it, it like captured my attention and made me wonder about what it was doing which is like i like for these sorts of movies that's all really you can ask is that it, it allows you to think about what it's trying to do yeah. yeah i do think like it is interesting with these sorts of movies like my broader response is often like i take it i struggle to begin to connect with it like it takes me a long time to like get on its wavelength and like be like okay i sort of see what's going on here and then like but then sort of like once that moment hits like the danger becomes like a little bit like i cement in my mind like okay now i've got what it's doing and then there's still like a bunch of the movie left and I'm not necessarily sure how much new I'm going to get out of the rest of the movie. Like, it's sort it, it, it's like a little bit of, like, a as a singular object, like, I, I sort of feel like there is, like, one, like, I'm going to get, like, a thing out of this movie. And as I'm sitting there, I'm, like, struggling, and I'm like, when am I going to get the thing? What's the thing I'm going to get? When am I going to get it? And then, like, I get it, and then I, I sort, I really have to fight myself because I do often am like, okay, I got the thing. Now, like, I'm ready to be done. Like, wrap it up. Like, finish it up. And then there's, like, an hour of movie left or whatever. Um, and so I, I think back and, like, I'm like, well, I found I found the thing that I liked. And I, like, appreciated it. And, um, you know, there definitely is, like, movement and, and stuff that happens in all of the movie that, like, I think contributes to the thing that I am valuing in it. But then, like, it is sort of, like, something where in the moment of watching it, I... I am fighting that struggle very actively within myself. Um, yeah, that was that was like my big struggle. I feel like with this movie, which I, I I like ultimately am like I think it's a worthwhile movie, and I would probably recommend it, especially if it is uh, available in, on a movie theater screen near you um, at any point. Uh, it's definitely worth seeking out and and spending some time with. Uh, but yeah, I do sort of like is yeah, especially if you're watching it at home. I I watched it streaming through Criterion Channel, which has it right now, and I was watching it on my like pretty big like 4K TV that I but that I got like fairly cheaply as like a Black Friday sale, and so like I feel like a lot of the like there was like a lot of spotting like I don't the image wasn't as good as it could have been for me, so like I also like had a harder time with with some of that stuff as well. Um, of getting the beauty of the images just because like the I don't think the tech was necessarily capable of providing me the experience that the movie deserves right yeah I think like to speak a bit to uh, like how well it uh, uses Ventura as like the conduit it like you guys talking about what movie it reminded you of the one that I kept thinking about weirdly just because it's like similar and it's like you know, guy going through like a lot of stuff was I Daniel Blake, which like mm-hmm. I greatly prefer this to that uh, because I think this like effectively gets like at the heart of the emotion without being like too didactic and like to where when it when I was like sort of like overcome with the movie at a certain point I was like oh I was like not ready for this to be as like an emotional response because like uh, also is like a pretty intense movie about these like. Um, heroin addicts who have a baby and like the mother just gives it to the boyfriend who's kind of like a deadbeat and you're just with him as he's like panhandling it's like kind of intense uh and this is like i i know I, I didn't have like a real emotional response to that like beyond like baseline you know like what's gonna happen to this kid uh but this one just being like 
when like I, I guess we're just gonna go full spoilers you know <laughs> when uh like it's revealed that like uh lento died and they're like holding hands uh like looking out from like the building i just was like completely overcome and i thought it was so beautiful and then when he like recites the letter back to them or back to him that he like has it memorized after he was like i'm not going to be able to remember this i can't write it down yeah it's just so good yep mm-hmm. uh yeah it's like it's one of those things where when a movie is just like slow and contemplated and just like meditative and it just has the sort of like formal structure that it has where it's a lot of a lot of like static shots you can't help but sort of like re- at least me i can't help but like sort of respond to it and think of it the same way I would with a, like a piece of like art just like at a museum where you just like look at a frame and then you just sit there and think about well what's it trying to do what is like the sort of angle tell uh, angles of the piece of art telling me what are the like characters within it telling me what is the sort of composition telling me which is which is like I said early, earlier that I had a hard time watching it which is true but it's also the sort of perfect movie for the sort of movie watching that I'm doing right now because it's like I said that during quarantine it's been hard for me to get like emotionally invested into movies I have a hard time focusing to the point where that's like leaving like leaving space for me to just get fully enraptured by like the story or the plot of something it's just like not a thing I can do right now so sort of having a piece of art like this where I can just like respond to it moment to moment and it's it's like i can look at it for a minute then like spend some time thinking about it and then when it changes i can look at that for a minute and think about what it's doing that way and then i can just have thoughts rather than feelings which feels weird to do about a movie but it's just sort of how my brain is working right now well and kind of like still visual art also i i sort of assume that like seven to 13 years from now, something from this film is also going to like click emotionally. Like, I think like, I'm just going to like sit with what I absorbed for a long time. And even if it does not like strike something now, it leaves a lot of potential to, especially in how like evergreen the subject matter is. Um, Like it's, I mean, 2006 is not that long ago, but it sort of feels, I mean, it feels extraordinarily prescient. And you could be like, this was made last year. And I'd be like, yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> there, so, like, I only think it will continue to grow more prescient. Yeah. yeah. And it's the sort of thing where, what was I going to say? It's like, I think when the first time you, like, experience a piece of art by, like, a filmmaker that is, like, who's like this sort of out there and doing something differently you can have you can have that sort of reaction where it's just like you're just trying to figure it out the whole time rather than just responding it responding to it and then maybe when you like watch see more of their art it's like through like the repetition of their movie than the thing that they're doing across their career you can sort of understand what is happening to there i know like me and a lot of people have that experience with like claire denis movies where you like watch one and you're just like yeah, that was interesting. And then by the time you watch the third one, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. This is what she's doing. And this, like, the, like, emotional center of these are, like, the same, even though they're very different. So you can sort of understand the core of what's happening and just respond to the differences and the, like, emotional beats within. So maybe if I watch more Pedro Costa, if, like, I watch Horse Money, if I watch Vitalino Varela, I'd have, like, a yeah. much more rich understanding of what he's doing and also the emotional center of them, but just as, like, a singular piece of art, I appreciate Colossal Youth. 
Yeah, knowing that Ventura's in Horse Money and uh, Vitalina Varela, I do want to like go forward with that and then also like step back because I know like people like Casa de Lava a lot and uh, we almost watched uh, Change Nothing a few months ago, but ended up not doing it for the podcast. And I like, I mean, he's like two for two basically for me, so I'm ready to go deep on Coach. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Jesse, I know you wanted to move into some of the reaction around. Sure, the movie at can want to do that yeah. i mean basically the headline is that like it it was it it's like a notoriously disastrous can screening like uh, just putting it in main competition like just didn't work like it it went over horribly uh everyone at the beach sweating in suits <laughs> right like, yeah. did they boo Long it movie. <laughs> I, I would admit, I believe so. They love to boo stuff there. This would be yeah. such a sad movie to boo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> I it's know. so, like, I mean, like, it clearly is the thing it's trying to be. Like, it's like, right. there's, there's no world in which, like, it was like, oh, you were going for something and you, like, totally whiffed. Like, where yeah, you need no to one be was like, you did a tricked. bad job realizing this. Like, right. I'm just picturing Wet Hot American Summer when they do... Uh, oh, day by day, and then yeah. everyone's like, <laughs> at the end, yeah, like, at the end of it, just like this very like somber movie that just ends with everyone like throwing tomatoes yeah. at the <laughs> A seventy-five-year-old Portuguese man up on stage getting pelted by tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I pulled up uh, Jonathan Romney's review that he wrote out of can for uh, screen, and uh, it starts. Without a doubt, the most difficult film in this year's Cannes competition, where it provoked more walkouts than any other film, Pedro Costa's hyper-austere colossal youth at least deserves some recognition and respect. So, like, even in, like, a pretty... That's fair. Even in, like, a pretty positive review, like, he kind of yeah. had to start out by addressing the, uh the reception to the movie yeah 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 just a, an extremely hey come on guys lead to a review. right i mean well this is the thing, like this at these just... festivals like you're seeing like 15 films in a week or whatever all in like right. screening like i can understand certainly if you like figure out half an hour in like i am not in the headspace to like receive this movie and so you like mm-hmm. sort decide to like get up and walk out like i i understand where that decision comes from um, I guess, yes, yeah, sticking around and maybe, like, booing it, maybe I understand a little less, yes. but, um, yeah. it is crazy, yeah, that, like, that film festivals are, like, the primary avenue, I feel like, where these, like, movies are, mm-hmm. like, brought to, to people's consideration, like, right, like, unless you happen to live in, like, New York or LA, yeah, like, yes. there's not, there's not really a world where, like, yeah, like, a movie like this is gonna, like, have, like, a fairly standard, just, like, indie, like uh, uh, um, platforming run, like uh, without mm-hmm. having been seen at a festival, but like in many ways, like in the middle of a festival is like one of the worst headspaces to be in to like get a movie like this on and get on mm-hmm. its wavelength. It's yeah. kind of it's kind of I, that contradiction. If I had to see this the same week I had to see Marie Antoinette for the first time, like I think mm-hmm. I would have an aneurysm. 
Right. Uh, right. Like maybe I would boo because my it would I think it would really cause some kind of neural collapse. So I can see why maybe this just especially in the context of can would people would be like I can't respond to this. Yeah, because we sort yeah. of Marie Antoinette. Uh, no, I was gonna say we sort of talked about like the inverse of this with like when we talked about date with David about can blockbusters where it's just like people will just be like woo like solo we love it because yeah, it's just, it's just like a movie with lasers and space after they just watch like 19 movies about lepers mm-hmm. and this is like the uh, the opposite where it's just like you're watching difficult movies and then it's just like you thought that was difficult let me, <laughs> right, let me give yeah. you right. a, a static like, shot of a guy sitting up front of a building for an hour Right, and I and straight into Southland Tales. And I haven't seen Wind That Shakes the Barley, but I'm sort of like mm-hmm. like familiar with Loach, and I think even that is like a more bombastic Loach than many. Yeah, yeah. it's like so a war even, movie. Yeah, absolutely. right. So it's like even the guy who like also does like some like really cripplingly depressing stuff is cut, sort of coming at it with like you know something a little more thrilling, such that this feels even more like uh, you know slow and meditative in. And, and yeah. depressing in comparison. Uh, this could just be like, I don't know, but like, was slow cinema like as it is now with like Simon Lang? I guess he was in the 90s, so that probably yeah. was a thing. Yeah, like, I think it's. You know, kinda, years later. I don't know if the term is in as wide use then necessarily as it is now, but definitely like that movement is kind of in full swing in 2006 yeah because you know a few years later uh uncle boonmi wins the palm and that's like you know a pitch upon is like slow cinema guy that's obviously like much more uh exciting i guess than (laughs) this but it's like a similar like you have to sit with this movie and it's like i guess not as long but you know um yeah i mean like looking at the like similar like the other kind of slow simil- uh, slow cinema guy who's in competition this year is uh, Nuri Bilgeselan with Climate. Right. So um, you've got that. That's the one kind of similar movie that is at least not as notorious for being received poorly. Yeah. And you were saying this was the first Costa that had been in competition at Cannes. Is that right, Jesse? I believe it is the first and only. And had he had he played at other sections of the festival before? Do you know? Um, that's a good question. Where did, like... Because, like, that's another aspect of it, where it's like, this was my first Costa, and, like, I definitely felt like I was missing some context of, like, what his deal was. Right. And so, like, I wonder if, like, it was a festival that had played a lot of his earlier work, and so that even, even that if he was, if you were to bring something that is, like, a little less accessible in the way that I think this is, uh, that people would be, like, a little bit more ready for, like, whatever it was going to be doing, even if it was a, even a slightly less accessible version of what he had been doing before. So, yeah, like, his la the, the two movies in the loose trilogy before this, uh, in Vonda's room was at Locarno, and, uh, Osos was in competition at Venice, and it does very much feel like Locarno ended up being, like, the right space for his movies. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Vitalina, Vitalina Varela was received, like, rapturously uh, last year there. And I think Horse Money played... Yeah, Horse Money premiered at Locarno as well. I mean, that's also funny, because it's, like, funny to picture somebody booing it, but it's also funny to picture people just being like, woo, 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 <laughs> at, the, at the end of one of his movies. But it's... Uh... 
you know, that's why you love film festivals. People react to things. Mm-hmm. We all love reacting to things. Just it's, ask you. Some might say the premise of this podcast is we react to things. <laughs> of all podcasts, yeah. perhaps. Of all human experience? <laughs> Who knows? How, how far about yeah, too I deep? Mean, I mean, like, the thing about Locarno is, like, this is... You might get movies that are a little more bombastic, but still in, like, very strange ways. Like, this is very much more the norm at Locarno. And so you can see how it might be easier for it to stand out in a positive way. Uh, Do we want to go into so, being yeah, now? Let's, let's, yeah. So we, so while, our pivot point, yes. Yeah, just, I guess just before this movie had its uh, disastrous premiere, it had a red carpet, As and on that red carpet... Do. You also had uh, Willem Dafoe pretending to premiere his uh, film from uh, Mr. Bean's Holiday, which uh, kind of pivots around the festival. It uh, uses it for its finale it's anyway. I mean, it's like all over the movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like... Uh, like you, it, it goes deep enough that like one of the main characters of the film is also a jury member, right? Yes, <laughs> the I'm glad that it was just Defoe who's like they make walk the carpet because like thinking of Rowan Atkinson <laughs> like dressed as you know like the grandma before <laughs> the movie that we just like before Colossal Youth right. it would be like insane to think about. It's like oh wow that's like Mr. Bean. All right, let's watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Exposure to being directly before seeing Colossal Youth definitely would uh, wire your brain in some interesting ways. Was the theater scene shot at, like, a theater in Cannes? Or is that just, like, I'll I don't know. Like, the interior? Yeah. Hmm. I feel like that probably had to be a soundstage. Probably. I will say, it looks almost exactly like the set that they use at the Entourage episode that is at Cannes. It looks almost exactly the same to to the point where it makes me think it's like, either there's just like a very realistic model of an interior Cannes theater just exists out there, or... I mean, it can't be that hard to throw that together. Yeah, if they're off-season, I guess they were there for... I mean, yeah. Because Entourage boys were there during the festival and they get to film there, so... Right. What is the Entourage subplot about Cannes? Vince's <laughs> movie is at Cannes. Oh, good for, they good for show him. They right. um, yes, the It, it uh, is received Pablo even more movie. more poorly than Colossal Youth, I believe. Okay, the, okay. The My thing with Entourage is I've only seen the Entourage movie. Wow. I said wow. I said this is where I want to enter the Entourage you, world. Yeah, wow. That, you got you got in at Did the you peak. see it in the theater? Yeah. Oh yeah. Opening weekend. Okay, so you de- so that's the yeah, you decided Entourage needed to be seen on the big screen. This maybe what part of it too. Like yeah, if, they pro- I if, went... if if they projected seasons of Entourage on in the on the movie theater. Yeah, like I don't know how you're supposed to just watch Entourage like at home. No. Right. I think yeah. I think it needs I think it needs the theater experience, and you need to sit next to someone who has seen all of it, so you can be like, "Is this normal?" And then they go, "Yes." <laughs> um, yeah, I had a really horrible time. It's a man named Turtle. <laughs> yeah. Who did I really loathe? 
oh, Johnny Drama, get him away from me. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they all seem like scumbags. I mean, uh, but, uh, yeah. well, come on. <laughs> you want to defend a member of the Entourage crew, Cullen? I, I'll just say, what did Vinny Chase ever do to you? <laughs> I feel um, like you might have. Uh, just... But yeah, they go to Cannes and Entourage, yeah, Cannes. and they film there for an episode. Well, good for them. Yes. Um, um, so, yeah. Do we just so, want yeah, to talk I, about Mr. Bean's holiday now? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, to to back up a little bit, because Mr. Bean's holiday is largely set at the Cannes Film Festival, but not really until, like, the third act, essentially. Um, right. Mr. Bean's holiday yeah. is... What entry in the Bean film verse is it? Do Is it, like, the... Two? Is it, is it really only the second? That's crazy. There's Bean and Mr. Bean's holiday, right? And then there's, like, the show and the animated right. show. So yeah. Yeah, I think cinematically it's just the sequel. That's crazy. I mean, I guess he the the, the way they do things over there in like in Britain where they just like <laughs> will do a character for their entire life is like kind of wild. Um and like have TV shows and and a couple of movies. Um But yeah, so I mean, yeah, Mr. Bean's Holiday, the premise of that is that uh Mr. Bean wins a trip to the south of France in a church raffle. Uh, there is a brief mix-up where he doesn't realize he's won because he holds the ticket upside down, but then he flips it right side up, and guess what? He won. And he's very excited. Classic Bean. Yes, classic. What a cat. That is just, that is just textbook Bean. <laughs> you open British, the British media, I also have to say, is like obsessed with the church raffle as like yeah. a, as a, as a dramatic crux. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess... Yeah, I, I maybe won like a bag of candy or something at a church raffle growing up. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't think it, they were ever giving it up like giving up big vacations packages ever. I, I won a free and sandwich would... once. Yeah, um, never been a part of one. <laughs> You're missing out. I don't think we had raffles in yeah. synagogue. Mm. I don't think they gave us that. Yeah. Another thing I was robbed of in my youth. <laughs> they yeah. would do, or still will do, a uh, a fifty fifty raffle during the oh sure at the church I grew up in. That yeah. is the only raffle I can recall having had. Yeah, and I mean, I guess I get like it is a little weird thinking about just like Christianity and like the famous story of Jesus like freaking out at all the vendors in the temple and like throwing them out and stuff. That though they will sometimes do like something that is approaching gambling for church. Uh, but I guess it's all for for a good cause, so I guess God's okay with. I guess my I guess my thought on like the very beginning was like, well, how does the economics of that work? There seems to be like twenty people in that church waiting for a raffle, and they give away what has to be like a thousand euro worth like vacation. I don't know how they made At money least. on that. That church didn't I, the the travel agency donate? Yeah, it? I think that's usually how it works. Is they right. get donated yes. from like the hotel and stuff. Um. But yeah, so he wins. He he wins the trip, like which is like train fare, a hotel, some spending money, and a video camera. And the video camera is very important because it's like one of the second character. Yes, it is the second lead, I think, of Mr. Bean's Holiday. Um, and so he gets it together and like makes it to the train station. Right? Is there any like before he gets to the train station, he doesn't get into anything too crazy, right? Other than like knocking no. people over at the church raffle or whatever he does. Um, right. He gets his, and then he gets... He, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I guess at the train station, it's just like a lot of... Ra- like, he gets his tie stuck in a thing. 
And then he, he eats prawns. He drops some oysters in a lady's bag because he doesn't understand how to order. Listen, relatable. Who among us Absolutely. Has, <laughs> has not had problems ordering at a restaurant? It's true. Um, yeah. And so, like, yeah, he, he, he makes it into France. He, yeah, he eats at that restaurant. He doesn't understand that the recommended chef, de- chef dish is just, like, a ton of seafood, and he seems to not like seafood, which I'm, wi- I'm with you there, Mr. Bean. He doesn't seem to not like... He seems to not understand what seafood is, but just yeah, <laughs> further raises he the amount of questions. Like prawn shells. Of just, like, if you want to find the logic to Mr. Bean, it's just, like, where... Where is he? Like, how has he right. made it? Th- how has he gotten this far? <laughs> with I he just wins. I watched this film with a friend of mine who has no familiarity with Bean in general. Sure. So trying to just sort of conceptually introduce someone to Bean and being like, "Well, Bean is a buffoon. He doesn't really understand how the world works, but he knows like enough about how the world works." Right. Um, like the general logic of the film was very confusing to her that he could not figure out. Um basic sort of seafood but like could figure out like a train schedule right. um <laughs> but maybe that's also just a very european thing like they're much better at train schedules than yeah. us um, that's true yeah if i was very i was distraught watching him at that restaurant that was very stressful for me <laughs> yeah i mean he does yeah he the, i mean mr bean makes victims of everyone around him but i did feel pretty bad for like the snooty lady who like he dumps a bunch of muscles in her bag or whatever oysters, oysters yeah. yeah like i mean you know they sort of code her a little bit as she's like a little bit of a whatever like she's a upper class whatever Snob. who maybe is getting what's coming yeah. to her but unlike, i'm not sure unlike, unlike mr being a man of the people what people right. <laughs> who knows <laughs> yeah, a man of the aliens. yes exactly um yeah so yeah eventually he uh he gets to the train and becomes obsessed with someone with perfectly filming him entering the train, and in doing okay, realistic, obviously yeah. realistic. Yeah, do it for the gram. Yeah, I know. do it for the gram. Sort of trying to like generate like a fake candid image or right. action. Exactly. I and understood he, what he was going. Mr. Bean for. Yeah, and he like keeps telling the guy it's to back the... up and like do it again. He like knocks over the guy's coffee at one point. He's yeah. yeah. He's trying to he's trying to capture the perfect image of Mr. him Bean. entering a yeah, train. In a way, it's like the urtext of vlogging is. Mr. Yeah, I was gonna say he was the first <laughs> IG honey, but I guess that's the same. It's, yes. it's in the same vein. Yeah. Um, and in doing this, uh, he is on the train when it starts to depart. But the man who is filming him, who was also supposed to be on the train, is not. And Mr. Bean soon discovers that that man has a young child who is also on the train, who mm-hmm. uh, immediately panics at the fact that he is on a train without his father, as he should, because that is a yeah. traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And, like, the guy yells at him, at the kid, to, like, get off at the next stop or whatever. And Mr. Bean, I guess, yeah. is aware enough that is like he is aware that he is now somewhat responsible for this child. So he, like, is like, I'm going right. to take this child under my care, and like, make sure that they get reconnected. And um, this, this I think, leads into what is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, in which while trying to cheer the kid up, we find out 
what Mr. Bean thinks is funny in that he just thinks making faces is the <laughs> the height of humor. Yes, which That's is funny to think about because all he does regularly is make faces, so it's funny. Right? Yeah. Does he he thinks, thinks he's, he's like a very puts, charming, like, paper in his eyes, funny right? guy. It's his currency yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean. Not no disrespect to Rowan Atkinson, but I mean, if you look like Rowan Atkinson, you probably think that a funny face is really going to go a long way in the world. Um, how many yeah, Johnny so English I, movies uh, have sorry, you? Andy, made? How many movies and TV shows do you have? <laughs> Listen, I I aspire to Rowan Atkinson. Like I'm not saying he, I'm I'm not I'm better than Rowan Atkinson, but uh, he is definitely a distinctive looking man. Um, yeah, I will, it's like also just like the things that re- ran through my mind is just like, well, he realizes that he did something wrong with the kid, so he kind of works to fix it, which is like funny to think about the morality of Mr. Bean because he's obviously like a buffoon, but he also does some things that are like like <laughs> the thing with the muscles with the lady. It's just like where it's like he knows that that is in the wrong. He does it to screw that person over. Right. But also right. he feels it's just like fascinating to think about what goes inside his head. Right. Well, and he's try he's like very concerned with embarrassing himself and like being like, actually, I don't like this thing I ordered. Could you bring me some other food or what? Like he could solve that problem at the restaurant without like harming the other lady. But he's too embarrassed to do so. But then like he has enough like, OK, like this would be like a true moral evil if I like cause this child to be disconnected from his father for the rest of his life that he then feels the responsibility to try to ensure their reunion um so i guess yeah there's like some shenanigans they like get on and off the train a couple of times right and then like eventually the dad like the dad is on the train and they're not at one point and so like the situations are reversed and so i think it's at that point that they decide like we're gonna try to get to can via other means Right, well, I believe he what, holds up the phone number. Right, because right, he's on like some kind he's of like, express <laughs> train that is not stopping at the next station, and so he holds yeah. up his phone number, but his finger is over right. one of the last numbers. That's right. They film it, so they get most of it, but then they're like, "Well, mm-hmm. I guess we got to try all the possible last two digits or whatever." Um, and so they sort st- of a sort of a not pennies boat sort of yes, hand situation. Exactly. <laughs> yes. um, I wonder probably. if one of those took from the other. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, two thousand. It's around the same seven. time. Right. Yeah. yeah. This. Yeah. This, yeah. It would be around the same. That's interesting. I mean, cultural. I would love to get Rowan Atkinson and Damon Lindelof in a room together. I think that would be make. For oh, that would be amazing. Yes. Yeah. A true meeting of the <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, Mr. Bean was the first man in black. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so you, then... It's just like yeah. hijinks ensues. It's like, then they get back on the train, but Mr. Bean leaves all his tickets and stuff at the like platform, which is like, Bean, what are you doing? Which right, like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Bean... <laughs> My God! Yeah, oh, you that. want the kids like, "Where's your head, Bean? You're on top of that." <laughs> so yeah, they, they get kicked off. That's what happens. They get back on the train. They get all their passports and stuff. Then they get right. kicked off the train, and then they are like, "Well, I guess we gotta like panhandle our way to the south of France." So this leads to my favorite sequence of the movie, which I have exerted as my screenshot for today, where uh, Mr. Bean discovers his tremendous lip syncing abilities, and he. Uh, jostles a radio so that it is playing uh, in operatic aria and he knows all the lyrics and so he like grabs some lady's coat 
fashions it into long hair on him and he like acts out the basically the entire like tragic opera and a large crowd gathers around him and is totally enraptured by his uh incredible physical performance of this uh aria which europeans love opera yeah we all know that is like right down right down the line for them also this is how boys on tiktok like (laughs) play as women they also do that sort of similar hair thing mm-hmm. so it's interesting like to know the origins of that yeah true yeah. okay so uh, at this point mr bean invented i mean he invented vlogging he invented vlogging yes. ig hunting uh he's plot lines on lost tiktok all it's of new really media a cultural is, is bean-based we are living in a bean-based yeah. media environment listen um it's bean's world we're just living in <laughs> I found yeah, myself also, also trying to figure out the, like, Bean, Pee Wee Herman, like, yeah. Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't, Pee Wee is not so much a buffoon. He's just very ornery right. and is a no. child. He's right, like, and yeah. is, like, an agent, yeah. is, like, actively trying to cause chaos, whereas Bean is, like, oblivious to the chaos that he is causing. Yes, yes. He's, like, uh, you know, uh, a hulo. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like... It's there. There's the sort the thing they're similar at. It's like it's hard to figure out what their like game is. You know about games, it, it, right, Fran? You're from Chicago. Mm-hmm. You, you you know improv. I know about games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, where it's like I I am so old that that I have both done and quit comedy. Wow. <laughs> Colin's looking to get in at this point. He said he please yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. He's like, what? now that, but you know what, this isn't worth it, let's move on. <laughs> I mean, the Pee-wee well. game is very unclear, which is part of the right. joy of Pee-wee. Um, yes. And I think when it comes down to it, they are both just men in a suit. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the whole, like, being a man in a suit will take you to places where, like, will mm-hmm. buy you privilege that you don't deserve. Like, sort of like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. You can walk into any building if you're holding a ladder. No, it'll stop. You. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I guess it's like th- there's this sort of like American British dichotomy of just like every the thing about Pee Wee Herman is that everybody just like eventually is sort of charmed to him and like even the people. Whereas Mr. Bean, everybody's just like, huh, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then what's like, happening here? Eventually, I guess like he yeah. he drives them to the point where like they want him to go. Um, so he get I I guess yeah they they make enough money for bus fare, but then yes. well they get a bunch of food so his hands are full <laughs> sure and he's got like his ticket in his mouth and the wind catches it right so that's he's what like, it I is I gotta go get that kid <laughs> and get stuck to a chicken's foot right and then and then uh, he steals he a bike the chickens on like an electric bicycle right um the biking sequence I think is like very well filmed and like really looks cool like the way that he the it cap, the movie captures him on a bicycle like he like holds on to the back of the I truck mean, for a while like and then like he does the of course the classic gag where he's just a regular guy in a suit on a bike and he passes like a bunch of folks on who are like in a bike race wearing all their gear and stuff and it's like I'm faster than you suckers or whatever uh that's all internal. He never outwardly expresses that. But that's, yeah, it's more like uh, right. <laughs> Tim Allen. Like, um, he just grunts. Yeah. yeah, it's like maybe that's yeah, the bean equivalent. Yeah, <laughs> that sequence is what made me thought of a thing I was gonna say earlier, which is like when the reveal of the, the kid is in the train. It's like I, this is why this is why I think the movie is actually like a good movie. Is that I think it does a good job of like 
mining sort of like tension from his buffoonery with like the thing with the oysters. It like has a couple of beats where it's like, oh, is she gonna is she gonna see it? Oh, she's not. It's like that tension exists. The reveal of the kid is like a funny piece of dramatic irony. The the part with the chicken is a very funny thing to consider. It's also insanely shot. It looks like a Sam Raimi movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so we also didn't mention that before he gets on his first train, he bumps into a woman that is like this lead actress in the Willem right. Dafoe movie. And Willem Dafoe comes out as this, you know, uh, director and he's like, my new movie's going to be at Cannes. We're going there right now. Right. He's my new actress. Yeah. You see Willem Dafoe. And early on, it's, like, not clear that Willem Dafoe is not playing himself. Like, it is very possible. Yeah. And, like, and he's, like, it's not far. He's, like, playing some, like, pretentious whatever director. Right. Um, I was trying to think if there's, like, a clear this is who he's a takeoff on. And there really isn't. I think he's kind of... It seems like Willem Dafoe is maybe taking a lot from different uh, directors he's worked with. Like, there's maybe some Abel Ferrara or some Lars von Trier, but neither of those quite fit. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say, like, do you think, like, late period Abel Ferrara saw saw his fake movie at Cannes was like this, but unironically? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, I do think, like... If there's any, like, valuable, like, artistic commentary within the text of Mr. Bean's Holiday, I do think, like, it does have some interesting things to say about, like, auteur filmmaking and, like, the way that we view, like, artistic geniuses or whatever. And, like, how the way that, like, he is so, throughout the film is, like, so, like, I am the I am the person in charge of my art and like I'm I'm making sure everything is exactly right or whatever. But then he late I mean spoilers, he later finds great acclaim through giving that up and like collabor like collaborating more and like his instinct of course he like he's not reformed. He like takes credit for everything and it's like this was my plan all along. But I do think like it's interesting that like the artistic commentary of like well, maybe maybe viewing things as like a sole like auteur as like the author of ev- of film is like maybe a problematic view that we have that we maybe need to interrogate a little more. Uh, was was something that I found of value in in Mr. Bean's Holiday. That's so generous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I have I I like Bean. I have no qualms with Bean, but outside of his buffoonery, societal buffoonery. Um, but what I kept thinking about, like once I learned it, I could not unlearn that this, like the story or the pitch of this is from yes. Simon McBurney. Oh. Um, yeah, so it's like not written, That's but he good. has the story by credit. So I'm like, okay, so what? Like while filming the Manchurian Candidate remake, like Simon McBurney is like Bean should go to Cannes. Like what? <laughs> where I sort of really want to know what the Simon McBurney connection is, and like mm-hmm. to what extent. Like, was he just like, Mr. Bean should go on vacation? Or was this like, because I love McBurney, both like as an actor, and I love when he pops up in things, he's just a real, you know, weird, squirrely guy. But what what is his involvement? Where does this sort of reflect his point of view? And where does that overlap or not overlap with Rowan Atkinson slash Bean himself? Yeah. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. A lot to think about. I, that's crazy. <laughs> I, I enjoy the idea of <laughs> Rowan Atkinson slash Bean of just like trying to figure out where Be- yeah. where Rowan Atkinson ends and Bean begins. <laughs> just the duality of man. We yes. talked a lot about how Mr. Bean would have voted for Brexit. Oh. 
Wow. He wouldn't, I feel like he wouldn't have been aware there was an election happening, is, like, <laughs> sort of where I... Oh, but he knows about a church raffle? Like... I mean, hey, I guess we, yeah. he might have Come just on, stumbled Andy. into the church raffle. I don't... I, it's possible. That's that's he true. It might not be his parish. He's not part of the upper class of Britain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess my thing would be, like, he clearly loves France. He clearly loves <laughs> the greater Europe. That's... That is true. He's just cosplaying as like a guy in a suit, though. So right. I wonder if he has suit guy values. Maybe. Maybe. I imagine possible. like his ballot box like broke when he touched it, <laughs> and then like a sea lion came through or something. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, lost yeah. the entire district's like, votes uh, because he went to vote. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was like it was. Go- he may yeah. have caused Brexit. Right. It was, it was <laughs> delete- he like uh, was carrying a bag of the ballots and it got lost yeah. on the way. Yeah, yeah they fall into the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just picturing him like at an electronic ballot box, and it's just like it's glitched, so he just hits Brexit a bunch of times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, him just looking around, tugging his collar. They should bring him back. Obviously, this is a well that should be mined. (laughs) I know they should make more of these. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You think? think You think? You think Mr. Bean's a super spreader? Oh, oh God. He's a silent spreader. He's not telling anybody. <laughs> and he can't wear a mask because then no one can see his expression. Oh, yeah. He would... Oh, my God. The mask. He would, like, not know how to put the mask on. Right. It would end up, like, yeah, like, yeah. up and down his, like, forehead or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> it would... Yeah. He would end up having to give someone yeah. mouth to mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what a, I mean... Hey. Dealing with COVID. Somebody open up Final Draft. I think we have a hit here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're talking Does about anyone have Rowan Atkinson's contact yeah. information? From we're from, from our lips to Simon McBurney's ears. <laughs> How do, I need someone to ask Simon McBurney about this. This is just crazy to me. Yeah. That he was involved in that being... Feels... <laughs> That's so convenient that uh, next week, of course, our guest is going to be Simon McBurney. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's going to be talking. He's going to talk about uh, Babel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess just to pick up the reins of the plot, right? Yeah. He like he he gets stuck in an outhouse at some point, and then is rescued by like a charming young woman. Well, gets hit by a right. Car. Gets knocked over. Uh, a Mack truck hits the. <laughs> The outhouse, right. Do you think that was intentional, by the way? Because the way he gets... I guess it's like... Is anything intentional, really, is a question to ask. I, that's yeah, the like, grand question of Bean. That's like a layer too deep. <laughs> um, Did Bean... <laughs> he felt the vibrations of a car coming was like, okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, and so then, yeah, he gets picked up by this woman... Eventually, you get word that like who's the actress? right who you find out later. Oh no 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 no. Yeah, she's she is like in the she is supposed to be in the movie, right? That well no because how does he get to the yeah. commercial? Yeah, because he was yeah, at the commercial, the commercial where, where, where he before. almost kills Willem Dafoe. Right. right, and he I forget how he gets there because he, he like <laughs> gets on this like old man's slow bike, and then the old man like takes him off once he tries to like steal it. Right, and then yeah, and then yeah, and then he, he get to the yeah, commercial? like the the bike falls, it gets crushed by a tank, which is going to the commercial the tank, right, 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 the commercial shoot, which he then shows up uh, and but, tries but, to save the actress. Cause he like wakes up at the commercial. Yeah, and he thinks he's in like 
you know, 1940s, like, yes. occupied France. <laughs> yeah. He does, he does some comedy goose stepping, which we all know is hilarious. It's very funny. Yeah, we all want we all want to see that in films. Yes, that's yeah. M- it is funny. I'll say it. It's funny. I mean, it's a funny way to walk. Stuck. It's, I mean, <laughs> I think when knew it, what they when, were doing when they did Ministry of Silly Walks, yeah. like silly walks are funny. Like there's not no two ways about it. Yeah, and when you see it in fast forward at the end of the movie, yeah. spoilers, like even funnier. Yeah, that's what I think. that's when it works for me. When it just like works with like with like the pretentious like uh, voiceover and him just doing like yeah. you know what I'm not I've decided I'm not yeah. gonna do that for comedy effect on this sure. audio medium. Sure. Continue and then yeah, Willem Dafoe is like this exacting director on this uh, yogurt commercial that's themed around the Holocaust. Um, and then <laughs> He like um, imagine watching a gets t- cast like as an extra. something on TV, and then like the commercial is that like a film like... by like Lars Van Trier or whatever, like and, and it is for yogurt or like Jesus. Well, there's like yeah, the that was like Wes a great Anderson. Bit, what did he do? American Express. Oh yeah, like credit card commercials. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It when happens. it was revealed that it was like not a movie, it was just this commercial for yogurt. Right. I was like, "That's a good bit." Yes. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, uh, talking about good bits, talking about a relatable king, Mister Bean, he disconnects a thing to connect his phone because yes. he needs to charge. He needs to charge his camera. No, charge his camera. Yeah. Right. Who hasn't? Who hasn't been there? Who hasn't? Uh, like, I just yeah. need to charge the thing. He Who's gonna mind if I disconnect? That's just the dramatic tension of the battery oh, level of the camera. I think is. Used well a couple of times in the movie, um, yes. including in this moment. Um, they so that then is when he hooks up with like the actress, right? And well, yeah, the yes. they explode this building and uh, Willem Dafoe almost dies. You see his hat fall, his uh, you know I'm an art director hat, and then Bean walking down the road gets picked up by the lead actress, right? Yeah, yeah. who Spe- is like in- of hooking up with, with the actress. What do you think their relationship is? Because in the movie, it's certainly at like, times played at, as semi-romantic, though it is not by Mr. Bean, who has no idea what is happening. Right, I mean, at, at one point, she, she like, asks if he is married, or, like, if he has a wife or whatever, and he, of course, doesn't understand French, but he just says, like, we oui and no, like, a lot to people. Yeah. Um, Gracias. <laughs> right, yes, he's, <laughs> right, and, and is complimented for his French a couple of times, because he can say those things, um, and, yeah, I mean, that relationship is, is I, I, I don't think she really is that attracted to him, I don't know, maybe she is. Um, what a okay. <laughs> I don't feel like this is a right. Road we don't need to go, to go down. down. Uh, Listen, be- Bean sparks a lot of questions. I'm just asking them. Yeah. <laughs> he is an enigma of a man, and I am just yeah. trying to get to the bottom. Um, of women like that when they're like, "Here's a guy who doesn't make sense. Don't know what the game is. Don't know the rules. Don't know if he has the mind of a child." And he can wear a suit. <laughs> he bites a. Bites an oyster shell in half, and they're like, "I can fix them." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that's that's like a tangible thing that can be fixed, right? You know? yeah. There's there's a simple demonstrable learning path there of like, um, uh, yeah, accidentally blows up a movie set. They're like, "He's so funny." <laughs> uh, you also you around this time you like gather like he is wanted for kidnapping like on like yes. on yes. the media is like well, this man is a menace like he has like kidnapped the son of 
whatever the the guy who works on the movie, right? Yeah. So there's like this band that's been in the background throughout the entire movie of like they're like panhandling, and that's where I guess Bean learns it from. But the kid gets, catches a ride with them because uh, he gets off the bus to like find Bean, and then they end up reuniting at a gas station, um, like or like a rest stop, and the kid's like happy to see Bean. And they end up in the car together with the actress, and they, like, are going off to Cannes after she realizes, like, or no, she doesn't see it yet, that there's, like, there's, like, a headline that we see that's, like, you know, the Russian director who's on the Cannes jury, his son has been kidnapped, and we believe it's this man, and it's, like, a picture of Bean pulling a face. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Holding, yeah, holding a phone upside exactly. down. Just <laughs> um, something's goofy. Yeah. So eventually they make it, and the yeah. she like they are already in disguise at this point, right? Like, well, well they get to is, the border. So she did, the first time we see uh, the like news headline, uh, the actress doesn't. But then they stop at a gas station, and that time she does see it. Right, and yeah. so she yeah. knows that they need yeah, to be she has in to disguise change to to get to this premiere because there's like uh, yeah. car stops or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so it hits yeah. the, the, like, the third pillar of British comedy, which is like Nazi jokes, cross dressing, and the, and just not knowing languages. Funny faces. Yeah, funny faces. <laughs> yeah, they get to all three. Yes. So yeah, he Bean dresses up as like an old lady. They pull up to the premiere. They get out. The security is like, you only have one ticket. There it is. Cullen has pulled up the photo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the security will only let the actress into the movie premiere because she's the only one with a ticket. Um, and so then, how does the kid get... At some point, they, go, they like, go park the car. And then... Yes. yes. Through... They... They sneak. They sneak in through the back, and then right. they, then they, they're like behind the screen, right? Because uh, uh, Mr. Bean whacks a security guard with his purse. They leave the kid behind the screen, and then he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go into like the theater, and I'm gonna and tell the guy dad. that you're yeah, right. here," which is a funny thing to think about. And then, but then security finds him, and also Willem Dafoe there is there, and he's no, he doesn't catch on until he like fucks with the phone. So he goes to hide in the projectionist booth. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, but when they're screening the film, he, like, sits next to the actress lady who he's been friends with, and then they watch the scene which she's supposed to be in, but it gets cut very short. There's, like, a a very clear hard cut of, like, her beginning to say her line, and then, like, her, like, walking away. It, like, is, like, very obviously all her dialogue has been cut. Um, Yeah. Yep. So he goes into the projectionist booth and to, like, help out the friend he's made. He starts playing the footage from his video camera of just, like, nice shots of her and then him goose-stepping and just, like, hanging out with a kid and laughing. And then he gets... Right. He blocks... Bean reveals himself to be a vulgar auteur. Right. Is what yes. happens. It's true. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing that has happened, which we skipped over, is we do see a fair amount of clips from Willem Dafoe's film, which is called Playback Time... It looks it's a tenet. whole lot like yes. That's exactly what I was. Thinking. It was looks like, like tenet. It has the color palette, like in everything. Yeah. Like it's yeah. Um, 
So it's like too early to be making so, fun of I mean, Nolan, I, though. But it's like yeah. it has all the trappings of yeah. what Nolan I've, became, but not any of the like Michael Mann aspects of Nolan. Just like the weird sort of like silver wash. Yeah, right. it's like it's like a silver wash. His wife is dead in it. I think. I think that it's like the concept of what he's just like monologuing about, and also there's weird time stuff. So it is yeah. Nolan-esque mm-hmm. in a certain way. I, you and wonder, then, like, yeah, if yeah. Nolan saw this movie and was like, "Oh, I can." I mean, have we discovered that Mr. Bean is in all of us? Mr. Bean's holiday <laughs> has permeated art in a way that no one could have projected. <laughs> yeah. Potentially, one of the most influential pieces of art of the. 21st century, early 21st century. Yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna look at the Last Supper, and Mr. Bean is just gonna be in the corner, <laughs> hidden somewhere. <laughs> um, this is getting back to Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so the the film, which I think the screening is like we are supposed to read the fil- screening, has not been going particularly well. As everybody around like, them it, it, has been fall is falling asleep. Right. It's like as, if you look as at everybody, Mr. that's not like right. That's not like the jury, like the guy in the jury who is the kid's father. We find out, and Willem yeah. Dafoe. Everybody else has just fallen asleep. Yeah, and so once Mr. Bean starts splicing in footage of his nice holiday, the crowd starts reacting enormously positively to the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it just becomes a late period Godard film at that point. As I made my joke <laughs> on Letterbox, it's just like a video essay about a trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I guess, and then things basically work out, right? Like the kid gets reunited with his dad, yeah. And then they all go to the beach, uh, right? Like that's basically it. Yeah, they go to the beach. He uh, well, every time he takes us, he he almost walks off a building trying to get to the beach, and then every time he takes a step forward, a, a car of the correct height pulls up, and then, yeah, he gets to the beach. Yeah. Which, I guess, I guess might signify... Yeah, I guess, like, might signify a turn within how the film feels about Mr. Bean. Like, he's, he has he is now successful, so instead of, like, the what has been happening, where he's just, like has been falling into misfortune through little faults of his own. He's now Mr. Magooing himself into just pure bliss at the French beach. Yeah. And then it ends with a moment of sublime as we all just sing on the beach. Yeah, like a person doesn't have to change themselves. Eventually society will just conform around their um, <laughs> unintelligible rules for itself. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's Mr. Bean's Holiday. I mean, I... Had a great time with it. I think it's a fun watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved reevaluating the philosophy of Bean in 2020. Yeah. Um, I had definitely not been exposed to any Bean related media since I was like a true child. Yeah. I think, yeah. I similar. I like maybe saw Bean as a child. I do not remember it super well. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I had only ever seen this movie previously. This is my, that has been my entire exposure with Bean. This is this was probably where I learned that the Cannes Film Festival was a thing, which is funny to think about within the context of this podcast. That's amazing. So, Mr. Um, Bean is also the origin of this podcast. Think about it that way. Come on. No. Not the case with Mr. Bean Holiday, but a story I always loved was that my old boss. Um, was obsessed with Mr. Bean when he was a kid and 
like once a week his parents would take him to Blockbuster to rent a movie and basically every single week he would just get the first Bean movie um, <laughs> and he got into like a really big fight with either his grandpa or his uncle or someone who was like don't you dare co-, like gave him the five dollars or whatever but was like don't you dare come back out with that Bean movie and then he spent 33-0 minutes in Blockbuster trying to think of a different movie to get and then walked right back out with Bean <laughs> I just I love that story so much and it's so sweet and whoever the male relative was was like you got bean again didn't you you little shit or something Uh, and it's just very very pure yeah very sweet but I texted him last night I was like have you seen Mr. Bean's holiday and he was like no I've only seen bean and I've seen bean 100 times (laughs) is there like a business in bean where he's like picking his nose that is like my main association with Bean for some reason. I do not know why. It might be completely fabulate, fabricated in my brain. I mean, it sounds like some classic Bean buffoonery, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that Bean. Yeah. I'm just what like, if Simon at? McBurney like, can pitch a on, Bean like... movie, any of us should be able to pitch a Bean movie. They should just absolutely. have like sort of open submissions. Yeah, absolutely. We sh- yeah, I mean, yeah, Bean should be a natural resource. Is like anyone should be able like public domain you call up there's like a hotline and you like leave a message and then rowan atkinson does your bean pitch for you by like the end of next week i think that's that's a great he's apparently saying that you want mr bean to have a cameo hey yes one thousand he would perfect that art form certainly like anything that's annoying about cameo i think would go away if it was mr bean doing a cameo for you um, I, I want a I want a cameo from former jailed ex governor of Illinois Rod Blagojevich so badly, and none of my friends will like spend money on this. And I guess they kind of shouldn't. He's really like a very bad person. But to have grown up in Illinois when he was like going to jail was like that was sort of in the period of time where like if you were the governor of Illinois, you then went to jail. Um, right. That was the govern. It was like the governor to jail pipeline. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I just sort of want something to remind me of, you know, my origins. Sure. What's his Enough, rate on Cameo? How much, how much is he charging for, yes. for an old Cameo? Not that much. I feel like $60, which is not terrible. That's... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you would that want terrible? a couple people to go in on that. You wouldn't want I would just... want, yeah. like, four friends to go in on it. Right. And I can't... I need to find, like, the four biggest enablers. Right. To team up. That's like... A tenth of the price of like some ancillary office cast member, right? Totally, totally. Like I don't think Rod is doing very well on cameo. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I have, I've said this off uh, mic, but if I ever get a cameo, I will stop doing this podcast. I've said it in the past. If any of my co-hosts ever get me a cameo under any situation, I will stop. I am anti-cameo. <laughs> Um, net positive. I will say, <laughs> Bean is still going strong. He like has an active like series that is like air. It looks like seven or eight minute episodes of like Mr. Bean like doing like crafty projects, which of course is a natural premise for him to screw up in some way. Are like actively <laughs> airing as of February of 2020. They were still actively airing uh, in so, wow. in the UK. It's like an at home with Amy Sedaris, but it's Bean. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's Mr. Bean oh, okay. and Handy Bean is the name. Oh, you're not gonna say oh that. Handy Bean. Handy Bean is his, is the name of the show. Yeah. Which, let's not dwell on that. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. They they should uh, 
My pitch would be you do British nailed it, but the host is Mr. Bean, but also every project is perfect, and then Mr. Bean just fucks it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he like t- he like takes the tarp off and it just like falls over it, and then just like tries to cover it by putting a hat on it, and then the hat like a pigeon flies in. It's a good pitch. All right. Um... Anyone have anything else to say about Bean or Colossus? Any, anything in conversation between these two movies does anyone have? In any ways they illuminate each other in particular? I mean, they're both about like these like central figures within them and the, just like the characters in their world reacting to them. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that one is so dialogue heavy and one is largely non-reliant on dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Where the pow- the power of the spoken word is like so monumental to colossal youth, and that Bean is almost completely silent is yes a key part of his personality. Yeah, I I do. That is the thing that I am most wonder about. Like, why is it that Bean doesn't speak? Like, I feel like my, there is a story there. Well, my memory as a kid was that he didn't so i thought it i was very like put off when he did occasionally speak in this i i just in my head i'm like he's always silent so when he does do his little mumbles i'm just like i don't want this stop it like Uh yeah if if if, yeah it's like the camera pan at the end of colossal youth it's just like the absence of of it (laughs) (laughs) the absence of camera movement just means so much so when there is dial when he does speak it just he says a lot yeah, it's funny to think of. It's just funny to think about, just like, the situation of just like, hey, Willem Dafoe's gonna walk down this red carpet, and then just a bunch of people like rushing to it and just seeing it, and then having to walk in and watch Colossal Youth after that. Just like <laughs> yeah, the juxtaposition of those two things. It, I can also. Uh, Do you yeah. think Rowan Atkinson saw it? Colossal Youth. Yeah, I guess that yeah, that, that would be the was like the la- here. The last bit on this podcast is just like, did Mr. Bean watch other movies at that can, and how did he react to them? You think he liked Marie Antoinette? Do you think he liked Babel? I mean, there's a natural connection between him and Babel, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Did he like Southland Tales? He seems like a Southland Tales guy. Yeah, maybe. Well, Mr. Bean watching a Bruno Dumont film. I guess later Bruno Dumont would probably play pretty well with Mr. Bean. This is still, yeah. uh, I think, very dour Bruno Dumont. Yeah, maybe Mr. Bean inspired him to go into I'm the Slack m- Bay period of his career where maybe. he's just like, goofball McKillicuddy. <laughs> you- I do not think Mr. Bean would like Pan's Labyrinth. I think that would be scary mm-hmm. for Bean. Mm-hmm. Yes. He, yeah. He would like think it was real and like would. Uh, but but the like, but like imagine Mr. Bean comfort, comforting a child by like taking two grapes and doing like this, doing like, <laughs> I think. I was about to say that is he does that basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very Mr. Bean bit. You think yeah, he like he's, fast? I know that it's like they are food. on a road trip. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Oh, just he's his own pale man. Mm-hmm. That is true. <laughs> Yeah. Great. Now we I just need the... to, somebody should yeah. edit him into Pan's Labyrinth to be the pale man. <laughs> I, I mean, guess the so, other I... question is: Could playback time be the wind that shakes the barley for the palm door? So, in in the way like that it was idea. screened, 
or in yeah, its original conception. in the way conception. that it was screened. Oh. We're, we're transplanting... I guess in this world, playback time just plays instead of Colossal Youth. <laughs> in that slot. Right. With um, the, the Mr. Bean edit. I don't think... I don't think it could... Uh, well... Maybe it could it could be the thing that everyone the fan cam right? that's in it. the thing that we talk about right where like very often like the winner of of the palm is like the thing that is maybe everyone's like third on their list because it's like something they can all just agree that they all like. I could see playback time in its screen form landing in that spot on people's lists and and going pretty far perhaps. You know who was uh, on the jury and would probably be real into the. Uh... The end, the bean cut of uh, of playback time is Ilya Suleiman. I feel oh, like maybe he like yeah. maybe he pushes Carson Clay into director. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, it would the, definitely win an award. The, yeah, it's not going home without any hardware. Do, yes. you, do you do you think Mr. Bean wins Best Actor? He's in the movie. Ooh, maybe that's possible at the Oscars. <laughs> I don't know. He, he is like. I mean, there is controversy with him though. Like he was in the news as like a kidnapping perpetrator. So like, I wonder if that's too much of a hot rod for them to want to directly give him the award. I mean, well, now hold on. Another. Well, I was just saying they love if that. You're talking about <laughs> if we want a court controversy, Lucretia Martel is on this jury oh. as well. Awarder of Joker. Say, yeah, and then there's like a Joker thing with Bean, yeah. where they're like, "Is Mr. Bean gonna start an incel war or something?" Yeah. 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 Is Mr. Bean? Like, is he the provocateur we need in these times? Is he just a, a righteous takedown of the British consciousness? That's what Lucretia Martel is thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should end this dumb See, podcast. Probably, yeah, we should probably. I mean, we could all pitch Bean ideas for three yeah, hours. Speculate on Bean for hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jesse? He's a or, cipher. He's our fascinating little cipher. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Fran, is there anything that you would like to plug? Oh, I would love to plug Brightwell Dark Room, which is a publication I write and edit for. But even when I'm not writing and editing for it, it's like always such a great place to read both film criticism and personal essay. Um, And that is all that I want to plug. (laughs) Thank you very much for Great. joining us. Yeah. We really appreciate you thank taking you. the time thank to you. watch these Oh my these gosh, movies. thank you for happy thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you can find us on Twitter at can I kick it or on Letterboxd at C I K I Pod. You can find me on either of those platforms uh, at JP Glick Weber. And I am, of course, in the midst of using my plugs to plug the 10 greatest albums of all time. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and use this week to plug uh, Lift Your Skinny Fists Like Antennas to the Heaven, the uh, Godspeed You Black Emperor album. That, that makes the 10. Great uh, post-rock album. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, I'm Andy uh, You can find me uh, online at Andy T. Germ uh, A-N-D-Y-T-G-E-R-M That's on uh, Letterboxd and Twitter I guess Facebook too, but You know, we we, we know About Facebook um, uh, The 
I will plug, I guess I'm going to, just to provide some balance with Jesse, I'm going to continue plugging uh, Tony Ward's performances that I uh, am quite fond of. I will be plugging the uh, performance of the opening number from The Wedding Singer in 2006. Uh, It is surprisingly enjoyable. Uh, and that number is super, super fun, and they do, like, a fun, like, robot dance in it and stuff, and it's really great. It's called It's Your Wedding Day, and it is available online. Cullen. I'm Cullen. You can follow me at Clatchley. You're Cullen. C-L-A-T-C-H-L-E-Y. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'll plug the Chloe by Halley song, Ungodly Hour. Okay. Good plug. Good plug. <laughs> uh, one of us has to do one. Yep. You, you can follow. You can follow me on Letterbox at I Laugh Alone. You can follow me on Twitter at I Am Laugh Alone. I am the Carson Clay of this podcast because I refuse to tolerate this plug buffoonery. So I will not plug anything. I'm like, should I have plugged like Billy Joel? I don't. I. I didn't. <laughs> We, we are happy to give you the time if you would like to speak yes. on that. To plug, well, it's you know, it's getting a little colder out. Fall, fall is an amazing time to listen to Billy Joel. Great. That's what I'll say. That's what I'll say about him. Great. Yep. Uh, our theme song is by Tree Related. You can follow him on SoundCloud.com/TreeRelated or on Spotify. You can search for Tree Related and find his music. It's a good theme song, and you should give him a shout. I have nothing to plug, and I have nothing to say. Mr. Bean forever. Alright, then with that, I will go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.